Hey everyone, welcome to episode 8, I think, of the Thirst for Knowledge podcast. Um, this is going to be a bit of a different episode. Unfortunately, Steve can't join us. He has uh, some stuff going on, so send him some love. But uh, I have a very, very special guest today. And, uh, you know, when I met this person, it was a few years ago, I believe. And uh, it was just another person in a group chat that I was added to. And over the course of the, you know, next few years... Uh, we began talking more and more and we started to become closer and closer friends. And this past weekend, uh, he won a Grand Prix. Uh, you know, hey, everyone. I have Cyrus Corman Gill on the cast with me. How are you doing, Cyrus? Hey, I'm, I'm definitely doing pretty well. I'm, uh, you know, kind of on top of the world. And thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, I'm so happy that you were cool with coming on. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your weekend, Uh I'm sure there's so much going through your head right now. Yeah, so I, I won Grand Prix Atlanta. It was a, a little bit over a thousand people. Um, I had one loss in the tournament, so w- with two buys and ID in the last round, I uh, ended up, you know, going thirteen one one in the Swiss, and then and then sweat through, you know, three with top eight, obviously. So uh, yeah, it's just kind of a surreal weekend. I still doesn't feel real. Kind of feels like I'm dreaming. It's kind of a dream come true, you know. It's a uh, so I'm very stoked. Yeah, and. You know, I think anyone who has known of you within Magic or has been uh, following you to any degree, this isn't a very surprising win. Um, your record, at least in Legacy for the last year or so, has been pretty ins- absurd. Um, last Eternal Weekend, you you top 16 Vintage, I believe. and Yeah, I, I top 32, and I lost my winning in, so it was like, and I kind of somehow jumped down the the math there but still still good and then you got second at eternal weekend uh in the legacy portion um you and your team won scg las vegas you recently got second on the in the moto ptq two weeks ago something like that yeah the weekend before atlanta yeah and here you are now a grand prix champion um yeah, that's just, in, it's insane how just consistent you've been over the last year. Just, I assume you've been working really hard at everything, and uh, I know you tend to play a lot, if possible. Yeah, well, I've definitely have played many thousands of matches with Storm over the last few years. I started playing it kind of right after Sensei's Divine Top was banned, so not as long as some people, but that was still, I guess, two and a half years ago now, so... Uh, for the last two years, basically, in you know, like kind of stopped playing so much six months ago, but almost all my free time was just spent playing this Legacy Storm deck. And uh, at a certain point, you just go to every event and you play a lot, and it felt like things started coming together for me. Uh, I had like a, a Grand Prix 10 5, which I was really happy about my first day, too, and then a 12 3, and then uh, an 11 4, and then this. So it was like, um, yeah, this is my fifth Legacy Grand Prix, so I. <laughs> I definitely was not expecting to ever win one of these, let alone top eight, but it felt like kind of everything just came together this weekend. I thought the deck was really well positioned. It definitely the best position it's been since I started playing it. Um, and I knew that if I could just kind of start off with a pretty good record, kind of dodge the nonsense decks, which we can talk about later, but I actually did not end up dodging the nonsense decks to start off the tournament, that I would um, I, I would be able to do pretty well because you're so well positioned against the, the tier one kind of decks. Sure, and why... Why do you think Storm is so well positioned at the moment? Is there has something happened within the metagame, or 
do you just feel like you as a pilot have come to a point where you just feel comfortable against all the matchups? What's going on there? The thing about Storm is that you have you have some really, really bad matchups. So like more than any fair blue deck in Legacy, if you don't have Forceful, you just have terrible matchups. Like I, I personally feel like that uh, AK Miracles deck that you popularized, that matchup essentially became unwinnable once you added accumulated knowledge. Uh, that and the Chalice decks are just have always felt basically impossible to me. I just almost never beat them. Um, but you have really good matchups against a lot of other things. So you're a deck with a lot of polarized matchups. So that I usually kind of say the deck is like a 40% or 80% deck. Like people always say Storm's a bad deck because your match win percentage isn't that high. Like if you track it or whatever, but I, that's not really what winning magic tournaments is about to me. You want the best deck for a weekend, you know, uh, and Storm is really good, uh, or at least good against this iteration of kind of the mid-range Delver decks. Uh, anything that's fair and non-blue, you're just going to destroy. Uh, the Turbo Depths deck that's been really popular is really bad against Storm. It's like that, that's like that deck's worst matchup. So I just felt like all of my opponents were just not fighting on the axis I was, which is a spell-based combo deck. They were all trying to mid-range each other and, you know, Turbo Depths slowed down into medium depths and Delver decks cut a bunch of counter spells for Ren and Sixes and uh, Miracles decks cut counterbalance and card draw for random Jeskai colored cards. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, Astrolabe, um, whatever, Magmatic Sinkhole, cards like that, yeah. <clears throat> um, you mentioned the Delver decks, which were obviously, have been very popular recently, and I think there's a lot of people who assume that, you know, the Del they look at the Delver decks and they see four days, four Force of Will, some number of Spell Pierce, some number of Spell Snare, and they go, this is good against Storm. And you and I have talked about this, but you know I've played a lot of the Delver side of things, and this I I wouldn't say Storm is an inherently good matchup. It's it's a matchup that like you as a player can be very good at, but uh, I don't think it's a good matchup. Do you want to explain why from your side of the table? So how I've always explained it is I think Delver versus Storm is a fifty-fifty matchup that heavily changes based on who's more experienced in the matchup. So newer Storm players, and that, that's most people just haven't played the deck for multiple years, you know, it's, that's a long time to play any deck in Magic. Um, oftentimes, and I felt like this, felt like feel like the matchup's impossible because they do have so many ways to interact with you and they have a fairly fast clock and powerful sideboard cards and they're pretty consistent. Um, but I, I felt like kind of once, I, I also played Delver for a few years before Storm. Those are kind of the two main decks in Legacy I have played are Delver and Storm. So, uh, the reason the matchup is good is that you make so many of their cards not cards. So how you beat Days is you just make your land drops and then you cast one Dark Ritual and that suddenly got rid of two of their soft formation spells or three soft formation spells. You know, if they have three Dazes or a Daze and a Pierce. Uh, you don't really care about their clock because people say Delver has a fast clock. It doesn't really have a fast clock. It has a fast clock in the context of like a mid-range deck, but it's like, it's not an aggro deck, you know, it's not winning the game until turn seven or eight very often, unless it has a very strong draw. And if it is winning the game before seven or eight, it's not doing it with three, four counter spells. Um, and they, you just act, you just operate on axis that they're not prepared to operate with, like, like, um, empty the warren. So one thing is, is that no one is playing sweepers really anymore because Ren and Six is so effective against elves and death and tax and stuff. Like, uh, in the finals, game three of the Grand Prix, I just made eight goblins, and I knew that was just going to win because Delver can't beat eight goblins. So uh, you're you're essentially able to just not make most of the cards of their deck matter and just reduce their deck down to four Force of Wills, and then you just thought seize those and, and win. Like, multiple times over the weekend, like, I, I know round uh, 10, undefeated, or it was round 11, I guess, 
I dress my opponent game one, turn two, and they're like, yeah, my hand's really good. I never lose this matchup. And their hand is three force of wills, two dazes, and a snare. And I'm like, okay, whatever, write down your hand, and then win the game three turns later. It's like, Storm does not really lose to counterspells as badly as people think. Yeah, I, I remember... So this is two parts. I remember you quoting our friend Michael Clifford um, in saying that the best opening that a Delver player can have against you is on the play Land Delver Secrets, right? And that means they're immediately down to five cards and you're about to go up to eight with your draw step. Uh, and I think that's very true. Like, you mentioned the games where the Delver player can kill by turn four or five, and those aren't games where you have more than maybe like one days or spell pierces interaction. So Storm can definitely just go off through you. Um, no, what were you going to say? Yeah, so I, I think the thing that makes Storm inherently powerful is that you have four paths to victory, right? You have M to the Warrens, you have Ad Nauseam, you have uh, a Tudor Chain into Tendrils of Agony, and then you have the most common way to win, which is Pass in Flames. And so as a fair blue player, you can and, and you can only shut down so many of those paths. Like maybe you have a sweeper, maybe you have a surgical, and you have but then you don't have a you don't have enough counter spells to stop the, the tutor chain into tendrils, uh, for example, or enough soft permission, or you, you don't kill you don't kill them quickly enough. And since Storm plays twelve cantrips and eight discard spells, and you can use Infernal Tutor and Pass in Flames to act as additional discard spells, uh, you, you can just kind of get you can just choose one of the four paths that, that deck is not comfortable or not able to prepare for. So yeah, I played Delver four times this weekend, and the first game I lost to it was in the finals. And that was because my opponent did do something, which is good against Storm, which is they went play Grafdigger's Cage, play Null Rod, play Standard Vines. Uh, and the thing about Storm is the way the way that you beat it is not really a fast clock with counter spells. It's by locking them out of the game. So that's why Chalice the Void, Counterbalance, uh, excessive amounts of card draw count as locking them out of the game, because the Storm deck cannot accumulate enough discard in a reasonable frame of time. Um, and then th things like Null Rod and Grafter's Cage do a good job of that as well. Yeah, you you mentioned before that you duress one of your opponents and saw Triple Force Will, Double Days, and some other stuff. Yeah, Snare. Snare. And, like, my immediate thought was, does this person have a Delver of Secrets in play? If not, they're dead. Because yeah, they just, their only threat with hand was a true name, and then they discarded the true name to hand size at one point in that game, and I cast Pass and Flames in one. Was... I, I've been playing a lot of the Delver decks recently and one of the flaws in construction that i've noticed is uh that they're just so saturated in terms of two drops that like they can't daze on turn one or else they're not playing a threat until turn three maybe or you end up in a situation uh which i believe this happened to you in the finals where your opponent like you know they had days spell pierce or something and then like one force of will or something or rather and they had to tap out for a Tarmogoy because they had to get the clock in play, and you did the thought sees you're dead, right? And that's just a situation I've been running into where the the mana-intensive nature, even though it's so odd to say like a two-drop is mana-intensive, but that's just legacy as a format. Uh, mana-intensive nature of the Delverdex threats puts it in a position where it either can't present a clock fast enough or if it does present a fast clock, it can just get dismantled. Um, and I know some players have been gravitating towards like Hex Drinker or whatever is extra one drops, which is, uh, I think, a step in the right direction, per se. But the problem with Hex, Hex Drinker is that it's still a mana intensive card against Storm if you want it to be a real threat. Like, 
the player that I played against in the finals was playing two hex drinkers, and we played in the Swiss and in the finals, and he had to use all of his mana on multiple turns of the game to present a reasonable clock, and it's like... Uh, I think the other thing, besides just being in a mid-range fair arms race, which you brought up about lots of two drops, like Ren and Six and Tarmogoyf and stuff, is that you want to just go bigger than your opponent, but also it seemed like people were really prepared for the Dark Depth strategy this weekend, despite it, it did put two copies in the top eight, but when I was looking at Delver list before this Grand Prix, I was seeing a crop rotation and a Caracas in basically every sideboard. Like, Jarvis didn't play Null Rod, no one was playing Flusterstorm. I saw basically no Flusterstorms, because what are you going to do, Flusterstorm, Elvis Reclaimer, or Ren and Six or something? It's just not a well-positioned card right now. Um, and that, that card is good against Storm. You know, it's not as good as people think, but it's still better than almost anything else that's not Force of Will. Yeah, so. I felt like Flusterstorm is really good in conjunction with Snapcaster. Like, you know, I've played a lot of Miracles, and part of that matchup is just having a stack of Flusterstorms and Snapcasters, so a single Thought Seize doesn't just dismantle you. Um, exactly. But you mentioned, you know, the Dark Depths thing, and that was something I uh, wanted to bring up. Like, the Delver sideboard right now is very awkward and tight, right? It's, like, two uh, answer, two to three answers for Chalice of the Void or Artifacts in general. Um, some number of Force Negations, usually just, like, one or so. And then, like, a bunch of other cards that are good in fair matchups, Sylvan Library, whatever. And then, like you said, no Null Rods very few Graft Digger's Cages, and then they have the Crop Rotation Package. There's, like, this overcompensation for the Depths matchup. And I believe a few weeks ago on the cast, Steve and I were talking about um, whether or not Dark Depths would be a deck that you want to metagame for in Atlanta, uh, which my thought was, based on how the Legacy metagame is moving, things have been cycling pretty quickly, right? Uh, people have been adapting way quicker than they have been that maybe you didn't want to. And I think, you know, like you said, it did leave a huge window for Storm to be good. Um, Force Negation is a good card and all, but it's still a three-mana spell. It's still awkward. Well, part of it is the Delver decks don't have card advantage. Like you mentioned, they go down to five cards on the play because you need to have land threat to really be competitive against Storm on the play. And it's like... It doesn't really matter. The thing about Storm and cards that are good against Storm is people say, oh, well, there's this new card that is going to be good against Storm, like Force Negation, for example. That's not really how magic lists work, because there's a critical miss of mass of cards that you're able to play in your deck, and it's not like you can then play more of them. It's not like you you know, you know, have the slots in your deck, and Force of Negation is not really any better than Fluster Storming. Maybe it's, maybe it's slightly better, but... Uh, especially when you're two for one in yourself, it's like Storm is a discard based deck. Like so many of my opponents just mold to five this weekend to look for a forcible, and I'm like, okay, well my hand is two cantrips, two discard spells, and three lands, so I'm gonna win on turn six. And I, I just think that like the, the best way to beat Storm is a permanent base hate. But I, I don't want people to play it. But like Null Rod, Grafter's Cage, uh, Cinder Vines isn't actually really that good. It's good against other things, but the thing about Cinder Vines is it basically does as much damage to you as a Tarmogoyf would do if you play it on turn two. Where it is good is when you play it late. Like my opponent played it, and I was at like nine, and I'm like, oh, okay, well I lose. So it, it, it it's an okay card, but really like uh, Grafter's Cage and Null Rod from the Delver deck are the two ones that I'm I'm pretty afraid of. Um, and, like, counterbalance from any deck is just going to be totally lights out. But I just don't think that card is very well positioned right wow, now. that's a lot. Um, so, counterbalance as a card is really clunky and just opens you up to variance. And it forces you to use your cantrips in really odd uh, ways. So, like, you may cantrip and see three cards that you don't necessarily want. But then it's just like, well, this is a one-drop, so I guess I'm keeping this. Uh, so it's, like, good in terms of, like, the abstract, my opponent isn't resolving things. But it's bad in terms of, like, 
you aren't actively progressing your game plan or making technically correct plays, in air quotes. Um, One of the advantages of Storm, too, is that it's a deck that not really that many people play. Like, when I saw the meta breakdown, it looked like it was about 4.5% on day 1 and 2, um, which is a good conversion rate, I guess, uh, or yeah, average. I don't really know how conversion rates work. But uh, I've talked to, like, Bob Wong about this a lot, and how he feels is it's, like, you're just not that likely to play against Storm in a big event, and if you are, it's probably going to be one of the people that's played it for many years, and it's not going to, like, it's going to be tough regardless. So it's like people like to load their sidebar with cards that are really Storm-specific, and then they never play against Storm. Like, I didn't play the Mirror this weekend. I think one other person top 64 it's like, the people that play Storm at big events are like the same 10 people who played on Moto, you know? So people, but because they played on Moto, people imagine the deck's going to be more popular, but it's still just those same 10 people, but the field goes from... 100 to 200 people or whatever to a thousand it's like suddenly it's not a very large portion of the meta that's uh that's around like i know cliffy day two i day two wonder pro on moto day two it's like those people yeah with regards to like legacy tournaments i usually tell people if you're gonna hedge one way or the other hedge more towards the fair um because like you're more likely to play against miracles three times because like tundra players love tundra right but Storm is more akin to death and taxes, where I feel like your pilot, the like pilots I've played against are either just complete masters of the deck, or they're like newer players who are still like learning the ropes and trying to figure things out. So it's either a matter of you're going to beat someone based on you being just overall better, or you know you're gonna just have a hard match regardless. But as you said, it's not gonna make up enough of a meta share to really play like the insane lock pieces that's exactly how i feel is i, I honestly think like and i'm not biased here just because i want people to not play good cards against me i honestly don't think it's correct to play storm hate in your sideboard like that, that it's not usable in other matches no i i agree like you mentioned cinder vines earlier and i think that card's terrible in delver uh people play it because it's like technically an answer for chalice and whatever but in my experience testing it it's um it's an awkward man intensive card like, red-green isn't necessarily free, uh, that you are incentivized to play, like, on turn two or turn three, right? Um, but that gives your opponent the window to just play around it. And against Storm, your other threats are more important to get down. As you said, Cindervines is really good when you play it when your opponent is at nine or six life, right? As just kind of like this, here's the lid on the on the jar or whatever, right? As the final hammer lock. But when you play a Cindervines on turn two, it's just like, whatever. Like, empty you for eight goblins, right? Yeah, and I think a lot of people are not familiar with the matchup either. Like, I know some of my opponents were not bringing in things like Pyroblast and Surgical Extraction, and they're boarding out things like Jace the Mind Sculptor, because they just, people just say things to me like, well, why, why, why would I want Surgical? If I have that, you'll just add Nauseam. Well, Surgical is also good against Ad Nauseam. You just take the Infernal Tutor, and then that's a huge bottleneck on their combo turn. But, I don't know, like, the thing about Storm is it's it's much more similar speed to, like, a control deck in the post-board games. Like, you're running between, like, five turns 5 and 10, which in Legacy is a control deck speed a lot of the time in terms of when you, like, establish dominance over the game. And uh, Chase the Mind Sculptor is one of the hardest cards for Storm to be. If you play that and, and then untap with it, I'm, I'm basically never winning. And, like, when you're on the play, like, it, Storm does not win just, like, on turn 3 or 4, games 2 or 3 very often. Yeah, like, um... My win rate with Miracles Against Storm is very good, and I think it's partially because of how I approach the matchup. Uh, I know a lot of players will, like keep in cards like Monastery Mentor and the like 
which can be good. There are windows where they're great. But uh, my approach has often been just kind of converting into a blue-white-red flash deck with Snapcasters and Vendillion clicks, and slowly just playing various prison elements and, like you said, choking the Storm player out of the game, as opposed to trying to be proactive. Like, I think where Storm excels is punishing people for getting too aggressive, right? Yeah, exactly, but... There's this rhetoric that I think maybe comes from just like commentary and people just saying to their friends, like, how you beat Storm is disruption plus a clock. I don't know what world these people are living in because it's like, what, you think you're racing the combo deck? Like, if you want to just sit down and race, I'm going to win every time. Like, that's just what Storm does. It, it, it doesn't need to win on turn one or two, but it can. But how you beat Storm is locking them out of the game, in my experience, with things like like uh, like card advantage, equipment and knowledge, lock pieces. Uh, I consider, you know, uh, Planeswalkers are a card advantage plus lock pieces. Like, I, I agree with your strategy. Like, I used to think Mentor was good against Storm because I used to think Storm was favored in a long game against Miracles. But with the addition of things like predicting cumulative knowledge, uh, that no longer became true because now Miracles, you, you know what, I dress you twice and you cast two AKs and I, I just lose. It's like, so it's, I, I don't think that people try to race Storm too often. And that is like so rarely correct. Like, a lot of times, like, I mean, it can be correct to ambush Viper or Snapcaster, which was almost always correct, like, I thought when Pro was legal. Um, but now it's like, I almost just can't ever beat Snap Fluster, which is what you were mentioning earlier. Like, that's a really hard combination of things to beat, especially if you protect your hand from the four Thoughtseize I have in my deck, is the only way to interact with Snapcaster Mage. Yeah, with Miracles, like, my game plan is, like, land go turn one, turn two, cast a Brainstorm, turn three, Snapcaster Brainstorm, and then just never tap out until, like, turn four, where I can go counterbalance and hold up Flusterstorm plus Counterspell plus whatever. It, it obviously depends on the hand, but like the mana I'm tapping on my turn is dependent on how much mana I can interact, or how much mana I need to interact on the Storm player's turn. And um, with Monastery Mentor, the play pattern it induces is, it's the same thing as the Tarmogoyf, right? Like you've tapped low, your Storm opponent is going to go in and just try and kill you. So that's, I, I just think the deck is so good at punishing just like your opponent using its mana. Exactly. Well, part of it is bluffing too. Like this changes from Storm player to Storm player, but all the time people just like tap out for something insane, like a Tarmogoyf or like leveling up their Hex Drinker four times or whatever. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, well, I was playing around stuff and not everyone's going to play around stuff, but I almost always do to, to a fault, I would say. Uh, and, and, you know, it's good to, like, make the Storm opponent think that you could have something, like, even if you don't. Like, that, that is a big element of magic that people... Because Storm just plays the game on such a different axis of, like, the spell-based combo axis. So it's... I don't know. Pe people should bluff more than they do. Yeah, for sure. And um, you mentioned before that coverage is often said the way to beat Storm is comb er, pressure plus disruption, right? But they don't really mention how, you know, not all disruption is made equal. Um, like, my win rate with Delver decks against Storm is significantly lower when I don't have Thoughtseize in my deck. Um, and I think there's a significant edge to being able to get that information and take a card and be able to build your play patterns around their hand as opposed to playing the game of all counter magic because, you know, you have to tap out or... You know, it's fairly easy to get a read on counter magic, or if you only have these counter spells, uh, it's not that hard to 
you know, invalidate a daze. It's not that hard to invalidate a spell pierce, right? Yeah, you really want a mixture of different forms of disruption. So, as I was saying earlier, like, Storm is a deck that has four paths to victory of, you know, the Pass and Flames, the Tutor Chain and the Tendrils, the Empty the Warrens, and the Ad Nauseum. And what Storm makes Storm so powerful is it uses your thought, their, their discard to see what your opponent's ability to interact is, and then it invalidates the cards that they do have. So, like, I thought sees you and I see a Surgical. Okay, well, I'm, I'm just not going to use Pass and Flames, and then I don't need to take that Surgical. But when you t- when your opponent plays Thought Seize, they get they then get to see what plan I'm going to go down of the four plans, and then they get to use their cantrips to sculpt a plan to beat that, and that's where it starts to get really interesting. So, and then kind of like the reason that the lock pieces are so good is they stop Storm from casting cantrips and Thought Seizes to, to, to decide which plan. They kind of just they you know people instead of slowing down the engine, they just put a wrench in it, um, and that that's just a lot more effective because storm is just the best cantrip discard deck like it, it plays the most cantrips and it plays the most discard spells and it can find more discard with its cantrips so it, it yeah i i think that thought sees uh is a very effective way to to beat storm like your four color delver deck yeah and that even applies to something like grafter's cage just like these permanents that force your storm opponent to have very narrow answers but cut off lines you know even cage cutting off passive flames and not having to worry about those lines completely changes the way you play the game right Exactly, because then it's like you can cantrip into sweepers, or you can be a little bit more aggressive, tapping out for creatures to pressure my life total if you think I need to add nauseum. Although against Delver, I would not recommend leaving an ad nauseum against your deck. But any deck that plays Graph Digger's Cage, so it just it just you you want to shut down Storm to just one path, right? And basically just say, well, I hope you don't freaking kill me with Tutor Tain into Tendrils. Like people all the time was like, well, you had to have Tendrils in hand, and it's like that's so often like one of the ways that you beat anything. Or like in the finals, my opponent had two snares and I emptied from hand, and it's like, well. You know, like, he did the best he could. He shut down as many paths as he could, and then I found the, I found the line that was needed to, to do it. But people always say things like, I, I don't know, I don't like the logic of, like, I was talking to Bob this weekend, and he was like, well, I don't like Elvish Reclaimer against Storm because Bog isn't good because they'll just add nauseum. Or I've had players tell me they don't bring in Graph Digger's Cage because Storm will just add nauseum. It's not a, it, that's not really how magic works. Like, it, if you're, just because your opponent can do something doesn't mean you should try to stop them. Like, you can just say, well, yeah, Storm's just going to beat anything, so why even play the match? Just concede. It's like, <laughs> you want to shut down as many paths as you can. One of the things that, like, spiked my win rate against Storm, um, or at least, I, it didn't, it actually didn't spike. It, like, helped me better understand the matchup. What really spiked my win rate against the Storm was uh, sitting down with Caleb Shear and just grinding the matchup a bunch. But, um... Max Gilmore, a friend of ours, said that the best surgical is the one you never cast. Because you just having access to that surgical, uh, you know, it cuts off so many lines. And, you know, I've talked to you about this. I've talked to Cliffy. I've talked to John Alexander. And you've all reflected the same thing. Like, you've had opponents cast surgical at weird spots where it just didn't matter, or they do things like draw stuff surgical, something that isn't relevant. It's ponder every time. <laughs> it's, yeah. I have ponder literally surgical and like, I feel like 50% at least of the game twos that I play in legacy. Right. It's insane. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever surgical to cantrip out of storm. Yeah. And, and you should not. It's like <laughs> surgical tutors, sometimes surgical tendrils. Uh, there are times where like, you want to hold the surgical to like, you know, actively get them to do the past in flames line and go, all right, surgical your tendrils and then try and weather the storm of like empty the warrants or whatever. But I think, you know, a lot of these effects are like 
surgical or what have you are cards that are very easy to make a wrong play with, right? Or, you know, make a play, get punished, and think, oh, this isn't a thing I should board in. Like, um, people commonly say that you shouldn't board in surgical versus tests. And it obviously isn't as powerful in that matchup or against that deck because uh, they don't generally lean on pass and flames. But you, yeah, they don't even play right. It. And you, but you still have to consider, like, if you're a Thoughtseize deck or if you're a counterbalance deck, if you ever are able to finagle a situation where you're able to get a pass and flames into the graveyard, not pass and flames, uh, burning wish into the graveyard, that surgical has relevance. Uh, that surgical will have relevance against other things. Like, Tess will often, like, burn a lot of resources to cast an ad nauseum and then go from there. And you can, you know, surgical on an LED or something else. It's, you know, it's just a different way of uh, using the card. It's not necessarily surgical your grizzle brand, I win, that type of logic, which I think a lot of players are used to. Well, people want free wins, and against Storm, there's very rarely ever free wins, and that makes you think all your cards suck. But that's not really how. Like, I I agree with you. Like, the best way to really improve against playing against Storm is you need to sit down with one of your friends that plays Storm and just ask, like, Hey, how do I sideboard? How are these cards effective? Like, I help people all the time. Like, my finals opponent, I played him for undefeated day one, right? And then I played him again in the finals. And afterwards, he was like, I know very well I can play this person in the top eight of this Grand Prix. They're eight and one, and I'm like. Hey, just so you know, I really don't think this card's that good against me, but I actually do think Surgical is really good. And then he brings it, and then, you know, and then we sit down for the finals. He's like, well, I'm glad you helped me with sideboarding earlier, which is kind of funny. Uh, so, it, I don't know. I, I think the best, I always just want people, I just want to play interesting games of Magic. That's how I always feel. Like, people are always, like, trying to get these tiny edges where they, like, scum their opponent or, like, are really into, like, concealing info, which is fine if that's your prerogative, if that's what you want to do, like... Like, I know at the end of day one, they asked me, they're like, hey, can we post your deck list on Twitter? And all the other 9 said no. And I was like, yeah, I'm way ahead of you. It's literally pinned on my Twitter. Like, exactly how I cyborg in every matchup, the list I've been playing. I just want, all I care about in Magic, I just want to play interesting games against people who are making decisions and I'm making decisions. And if me helping you sideboard or you helping me sideboard improves my decision-making ability, that's, like, what I care about. So it's like sit down with a Storm player or just message me and ask, like, hey, is this card good against Storm? Like, may maybe it is and you never even thought about it. Like, for example, people are always trying to argue with me that Lightning Bolt is good against Ant, and I think that is insane. I think that only games you'd ever win with Lightning Bolt are games that any other card with a relevant text on it in your 75 would have also won the game. But, like, against Tess, I think Lightning Bolt's good because they have to make goblins or they have to add nauseum, and you're into a racing situation. So... That's just my advice is it, it's hard to understand if your cards are good, but the Storm player knows how good cards were because they're casting so many discard spells. They really know what the framework of the game was like. That lightning bolt comment. So on the draw specifically against Storm, I'll sometimes leave in two copies of lightning bolts over something like uh, maybe one copy of like Gurmag Angler, or like true name nemesis, right? How do you feel about that? It really depends on how your 75 is built. Like, I think that Lightning Bolt is oftentimes is better than the slower threats. Like, I board on all my true names as Delver, and I like, if th like the old stock Canadian threshold list with 12 creatures, you know, 444. Four, four, I used to go down to 10 threats, for example. Um, and it depends on your higher sideboards built. Like, if you have cards to bring in, like, you know, it, that are better than it. Like, some people would not bring in Surgical because they thought Lightning Bolt was better, and I think that's wrong, but 
I think True Name is not good against Storm. It's just it's only mode is really pitching to Force of Will because you're just so shields down if you ever cast it, and it's just not where you want to be. I don't think I've ever cast a True Name against Storm. Like you said, it's so man intensive, you just die. Um, yeah, and like the second Gurmag is usually pretty bad, you know. So like the first one, you, you maybe I'll leave in one or whatever. Right. Um, that is something I'll commonly do. Um, on the play, I'll like shave one Gurmag, and then on the draw, I'll have two. Uh, and shave a Tarmogoyf because I'm more likely to keep hands based on just disruptive potential and then play more of a slower game and then need a threat that comes down for one mana at some point. Um, but no, I, I agree. Uh, you know, Lightning Bolt isn't something you want to rate highly. I know Jarvis feels the same way. He mentioned it after his playoff win. He said, you know, Lava Spike's not a card against combo. And I I agree with that. It's just people have fundamentally misunderstand the matchup a lot of time because the Storm deck is just not really that popular. Uh, It's fairly popular, but it doesn't... It's not that kind of... Like, for me, I'm not, like, that good at other Magic decks. Like, I, I, I... just preface that with that. Like, it took me, like, a thousand matches before I really started winning a lot of matches with Storm. You know, like, I was, like, around a 50% win rate for, like, over a year as I... Uh, just not winning very much, paying for a lot of moto leagues, pretty frustrated, scrubbing out of events. Um, and so it's like, other people who are better at Magic are able to kind of pick up Storm and do well with it, but it does just play the game in a very different way. Uh, and I think this, like, one of the huge advantages of the deck is your opponents just do make a lot of mistakes against you, and that's never going to go away. Like, people say, well, Storm's only good against people who are not great. That's not really how it works, because there's a lot of information asymmetry with Storm, where I know your hand and you don't know my hand, and you might be playing the correct, the, doing the correct plays from what you understand about my hand and what my deck does. But like, I might also be trying to convince you that my plays are that my hand is different cards that are in it. So it's like, you really abuse information asymmetry, which is another reason that Thoughtseize is so good against Storm. So, do you feel like bluffing is a huge part of your game, or do you not bluff that much? How do you how do you use misinformation to your advantage? Yeah, well, part of that. Yeah, that's part of like that information asymmetry is like. For example, I'm playing against Delver, uh, like Tenno. I thought he's my opponent. I see they have a Dread Horrorcanist, a Daze, and they have no lands in hand, right? But they have one land in play. I know they're going to tap out for Dread Horrorcanist next turn. It's the only way they're going to win this game. So I just cast a Ponder. What are you going to do, Daze it? They can't, right? So that's one thing. And it's like, I'm bluffing that Ponder doesn't matter to me, maybe. But like, I'm abusing the information asymmetry. Because I know that land is more important than my, this Ponder for them than my Ponder is for me. Uh, in the finals of the Grand Prix, I cast Dark Ritual and tw- passed twice. Like, like I, I bluff all the time. Like, because some people are like, there's people like who are always gonna force a will dark ritual. There's people who are always gonna force a will uh, brainstorm. And if someone plays like that, you suddenly you can set them into these play patterns that are really advantageous for you. Like for example, if I cast dark ritual and pass at one point in the game, my opponent's like, okay, well now I know that this bluff is within my opponent's range, and then they're probably never gonna force a will dark ritual. Like it would take it would take a lot to force a will dark ritual against someone you know is gonna pa- has passed previously while ca- after casting it, uh, and so yeah, I, I bluff basically every game of every match, and it's not even it's like bluffing, but like since I know your hand, it's like I, I'm able to just make you do plays that I want you to do, which is part of the power of storm. Like the deck only plays eight discard spells, but I know like one thing Kaisa Watari taught me, who is a another. Grand Prix top eight competitor with the storm is that every card in your deck is a discard spell that every non-land card you just have to make your opponent think that's the card that matters you have to make them you have to convince them that's the bottleneck you know things like miss a land drop cast dark ritual opponent forces okay play my land because i need to get that force out of your hand uh miss a land drop cast a ponder opponent dazes kill you like lotus petal kill you things like that like so yeah i I bluff a pretty good amount um and it's not the kind of bluffs where like soul reading your opponent i don't put a lot of value into that kind of stuff like 
people who think that like, like I know people say like, oh, just play cabal therapy because if you're smart, you won't miss. You'll just, <laughs> I, I've played a lot of Storm and I miss with cabal therapy a lot because they've made a lot of magic cards since cabal therapy came out. And it's, it's like, just because you, you basically are the highest percentage play is always named Force of Will, right? Even if your opponent is representing something. Uh, and that's, I, I, I don't know. My thing with Ant is I like to play the most stock 75 possible. I like to make stock decisions. I like to cast cantrips in the correct way. I like to cast dots. I don't try to get cute with anything. I just think people try to get cute too much and want to feel really smart. I think you should just do stock things and win tournaments that way. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the kind of bluffs I do are the kind of bluffs you do on Moto. You know, like not soul reading your opponent. Just you know, playing 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 against the playing against the cards that you, you know your opponent has. It honestly sounds less like you are bluffing. And it more sounds like you're classically conditioning your opponent, right? You're yeah, that's one way to think about you're it. You're doing a set of actions to induce a reaction, and then you're like letting your opponent know, hey, here's what will happen this one time, right? And people have the tendency to generalize one instance of something like, you know, if somebody puts their hand on a stove and they get burned, they may never put their hand on the stove again, even if that stove isn't hot per se and it sounds like a storm gets to just do that at a much higher rate than other decks right it's it's similar to delver uh, in that fashion where players will religiously play around days to a degree where you get value from the card even if it's not in your hand you can cut days from your deck like completely in post-war games and have opponents play around it. or the flip side is, like, on the draw, you can keep in days against opponents who think that you've cut it and punish them accordingly. Yeah, I mean, things like removal. Like, I know, going into Game 3 of the finals, my opponent and I had chatted about how I don't bring in Xanastorm against Delver uh, previously in the tournament. And then I present my deck, and I'm like, hey, wait, actually, I want to change one more card. So I reach one card on my sideboard, I shuffle it into my deck, <laughs> and I take out another card, and then I represent. It was actually a dark petition, because I saw my opponent had two spell snares, and I wanted to have a, another way to go through a spell snare, but my opponent was like, oh, is that the Xanad? And then they started, you could tell they were like, ah, am I supposed to cyborg for this now? And it's like, I don't know. I just thought, I, it was almost, was not, it almost wasn't even intentional by me, but a lot of Storm is creating virtual card advantage uh, because Dark Ritual sh is like, it's a three for one if, if you make the three mana worth it, you know? Uh, so it can be a one for one if you convince your opponent that's the card they need to counter, things like that. So since you're a control deck, you're, you know, like a combo control type of deck where you really want to create card advantage in unconventional ways. Yeah, you and I have gotten into many uh, Twitter conversations about respecting Xanid Swarm out of Storm. And you've often been on the side of, it's not right to respect it. And I've been on the side of, well, I can, so I am. Yeah, it changes in decks that have a lot of card draw. How I feel is it's like, when I play Fair Blue decks, I just treat Xanid Swarm as another, like, it's like a Cabal therapy. Like, okay, you got to force this, right? But, like, I just... I, well, it's a him to Turok, right? Yeah, it's him to Turok. I mean, it's really good, but, like... The thing is, it's like, Xanastorm is not green mana win the game. Like, I did board in Xanastorm this weekend uh, against one deck, and that was round three, and then I never boarded it in again. And people all the time are like, why do you play Xanad? You, you hardly ever boarded it in. One, okay, that's good. I don't want to have to board in cards. I'm playing Storm. But two, it's like, I don't know. Like, I dressed my opponent in the tournament, and they showed me two swords of plowshares. And until people stop doing stuff like that, I'm just not going to cut that card from my deck. You know, it's like... And it depends. I mean, people have different evaluations of it. Like, for my side, Zan I just don't ever bring in Zanswarm. But I know other Storm players do. Like, they just see a deck with Forcibles. Like, I know uh, Storm in the finals of SCG, and one thing the commentators said, where they were like, why is this player playing Zanswarm? They were playing my list. And 
they're like, that seems terrible against Ren Six. And I'm like, yeah, Xanastorm is also bad against Death and Taxes, but you don't board it in there either. Like, it's... The other thing is Ren and Six is just terrible against Storm, and if you have it in post-board, it's usually a matter of you not having enough cards to take out of your deck, because... Like, that's usually one of the first cards I go to to cut from my deck. Yeah, I felt really good about my list for this weekend, though. It was just a stock Storm list, but with uh, two Veil of Summer. It's kind of a funny story about this list. So, since Sensei's Minotop has gotten banned when I kind of first started playing the deck, I have never really been able to settle on an exact 75 that I liked. Like, even when I had that really good run where I played, like, 74 or 75 at Eternal Weekend and then the SDG, um, I was like, I just got that list from a friend of mine and was, like, not exactly sure... Uh, you know, I was like, whatever, I don't really, I, can't, I should never get a list I was happy with. But after Veil of Summer came out at like basically four in the morning, I was just still up and I'm like, I bet this card's good in Ant. So I loaded up Moto and just put together a list and then went to bed and I tweeted it out before I went to bed. And then I woke up and I mapped it out. Like one thing I do is big is sidebar mapping. So in every matchup, I see how many cards I have that are bad. And then I want to bring in that many good cards, right? So like, that's why some numbers in my list look weird. Like, why do you have one Xanastorm? Well, I have exactly this amount of cards to take out. <laughs> it just mapped out perfectly, so I haven't changed my list since then. It was like a three 3.48 in the morning tweet of me thinking, hey, Vale Samer seems a reasonable ant, and I haven't changed the list since then. <laughs> no, I, I I totally understand. Uh, there was like a year where my AK Miracles list was basically the same 75 cards, but what was in the main deck and what was in the sideboard would just like swap depending on what I felt about the metagame, so totally understand that yeah i I advise people not to get too cute with their storm lists like people like to feel really smart and that's why they play cards that make them feel really smart i think you should just play good cards like the reason to play ant over other combo decks is almost all your cards always do the same thing like when you play a deck like sneak and show you have gristle brand in your deck that card is not good to draw almost ever except exactly when you want a combo when you draw preordain or thought seize like those cards are just always doing the same thing so I, I hate playing cute cards. Like people are always like, oh, if you try playing something like Grave Titan, or people like to play two tendrils of agony. I'm, I'm personally not a fan of that. It's like, I just want my deck to cast two cantrips, two discard spells, and then win the game. That's that's my game plan. And if that game plan's not good enough, well, I'm gonna lose. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense to me. Um, I like I like your mindset of just kind of maximizing the potential of your deck and. Uh, at the beginning of the chaos, you mentioned that Storm is really good at kind of maximizing variance in its favor. Uh, how you win a tournament isn't necessarily by beating everything, it's just by beating the right things, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that's a good mindset. Although, <laughs> we can talk a little bit about my matchups, because I think they're kind of funny. So I like uh, I start off the tournament, and I have two buys, and then I paired against Sneak and Show, which is a good matchup for Storm because Discard is better than Counter Magic and Combo Mirrors. But this player had beaten me in the PTQ yesterday, and I knew they were good, or the day before. Uh, and I was able to win that. And then I get paired against someone who I know is playing Legacy Humans. Awful matchup. <laughs> was it Itai? Uh, it wasn't. It was just someone I saw seen playing near me. Anyway, so game okay. one, I go like Snow Covered Island Ponder because I played Snow Covered Basics. And my opponent's size are like, oh my god, not this four-color snow deck. And I'm like, yeah, not this four-color snow deck, right? Screw this deck, isn't this deck dumb? And then I go like, turn two, snow-covered swamp thought season, and then I die. And then my opponent goes, turn two on the play, or on the draw, named Metal Image, named Fatal Push, and then I kill them. And then, <laughs> and I'm like, well, that was smart. Uh, and it was funny, because during the match, they were like, your name sounds really familiar to me. And I'm like, wow, weird, what a weird coincidence. <laughs> like, I was like, I really don't want you to know I'm playing Storm. Uh... And then we go to and then we go to game three and they metal mage infernal tutor and I have my one of dark perdition in my deck in my hand and I kill them with that and I'm like wow this is what an unreal way to beat a terrible matchup uh, like the one of dark perdition beating the metal mage on infernal tutor like are you kidding me um, and then it's like I just knew the tournament was going to be special after that like beating humans to start off it's like it literally cannot get harder 
Uh, and then I play my next round, and I win the die roll, and I thought sees my opponent, and their hand is turn one, turn a spear, and I'm like, okay, actually, it does get harder. Uh, <laughs> and I'm able to win that game, and then game two, they turn one, turn a spear me, uh, <laughs> and then turn two, scab clan berserker me. Uh, and then game three, they kind of just keep a hand that just goes blood moon into rabble master, and I'm able to, uh, I, her- I hercules recall myself, and I'm able to win from there. But I was just like, okay, well, that's like my two worst matchups they're out of the way with, and I'm f- I'm 5-0 now. I was like, it- it's going to be okay. And then after that, it's just like, I started getting more fair blue decks. Like, I played against um, Rip Helm Control, uh, which is like, okay, but not a great matchup, because my opponent had, like, three Veil of Summers and, like, Dovin's Vetoes, and, like, uh, they had Enlightened Tutor for, like, Arcane Laboratory and Recipes, but they mold pretty low, and they also boarded out a lot of cards I thought were pretty good against me, like... Uh, they, they boarded out Jace and left in plows, which I think kind of won, won me the game because game three they they had two plows in, or game two they had two plows in hand, uh, and then turbo ups great matchup four color snow great matchup, uh, and then finally I started getting rug delver. So after this uh, round nine and then the first two rounds of day two I six would rug delver in games, <laughs> and then I'm like I'm playing my first one in and I'm eleven zero at this point and because the size of the tournament and being the last undefeated player twelve zero locks me. I get paired against Burn, and I know I'm playing against Burn, and I'm like, okay, I just top made this Grand Prix. So I thought he's my opponent's um, Eidolon, and then I cast six cantrips, and then they kill me. And I'm like, okay, well, that kind of sucked. Uh, and then we go to game two, and I have Echo and Truth for Eidolon, and then they just turn three me without playing a creature, and I lose. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm 11 1 at a Grand Prix. I just got my opponent slow rolled a Fire Blast to kill me. They didn't even realize they were slow rolling it. They were just like, I was like, I was like, fetch, ponder cast something else or whatever, and they were like, oh, you're at four? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay, fire blast you. I'm like, oh, sick, dude. Like, they wait to slow me or me. And they're like, honestly, man, you were just casting so many spells. I was like, not even really realizing you were at four. I didn't mean to slow roll you. That was kind of, and I was like, dude, you're, we're cool. And they top eight the Grand Prix, which is cool. Um, first, Burn's first ever Grand Prix top eight, I think, for Legacy. Insane. Yeah, I was kind of shocked to see Burn top eight, and I actually messaged Jarvis and asked him, like, hey, how did Burn beat you? Because I'm like, I almost never lose to that deck. And um, his response was just simply exquisite firecraft. That was just yeah, it. Like I had four main. Yeah. And he had... Like, like the burn matchup is very easy to lose if you aren't oddly enough aggressive with your spells. And quad exquisite firecraft just sounds like a like a hellish nightmare. Well, the conventional way to play against burn as a blue deck is that you counterspell their last burn spells because those are the four damage ones, right? Because price progress and fire blast gain value the longer the game goes. Or, I mean, fire blast is terrible early. Um, but the thing is, is, if you're planning to counterspell your opponent's four damage burn spell like while they're dead on board and they firecraft you, you your plan just fell apart. Yeah, I forcible goblin guide. Yeah, I, I usually just counter their first few burn spells cause, and then hope to find more counters later. And then I beat a Jeskai Mentor for my winning in, uh, which is a, a pretty good matchup. Um, I just had the nuts, though. It was, just, And then I, I did with Jarvis, and then I looked at the top eight, and I was just thinking, I was like, I really didn't want to get ahead of myself, but I was just like, if we just had to run a simulation of this top eight and, like, no pilots, like, just assuming equal pilot skill, Storm wins this top eight, it has to win this top eight eight, eight out of ten times or something. Like, the top eight was two depth decks. I'm, I'm their worst matchup. Burn. I lost on the Swiss, still one of my best matchups. Hogak. One of my best matchups. Two Rug Delver, you know, gr- great matchup for me. Uh, Jeskai Mentor with no counterbalance or anything. I, I just felt like I, I didn't want to get ahead of myself, but I just knew that if I could just stay focused and take it one game at a time and just do do what the deck does, you know, you just just play consistent games of Magic and the deck didn't fail me. I, I, I was pretty sure I was able to take it down. Uh, it was just going to come up to pilot error basically at that point. So I just had to play my best and I got lucky in the right spots and, it, you know, just, just played games of Magic and... <laughs> 
won the Grand Prix. It was, it was unreal. Like, when I top eight, I, like, was on the verge of tears. I was so happy. But when I'm playing the top eight, it just felt like I was playing a small weekly. Like, got to play Hogak Burn and then Rugged Over. Like, okay, that's, like, I do that every week at my weekly or whatever. You know, it's just a moto league. All you have to do is 3-0. And I, I didn't even feel like I was playing a Grand Prix. Yeah, I definitely looked at the top eight and was just, like, looking at the matches was just, like, Cyrus wins this matchup. Cyrus wins this, this matchup. I thought Burn would maybe be a bad matchup if they had exactly turned to Eidolon, but otherwise... Part of it was not since I got the pair down round 14, I'm on the play all of top 8. I was the only 40-pointer. Okay. Um, so you- and so I knew I was on the play. Yeah, the Burn game went exactly how it always goes, except in the Swiss. Like, that's a really good matchup for Storm, even though they can win because they can turn 3 you and they can Eidolon. But game one, I just thought sees my opponent's idol on the play, and then I kill them. And then game two, I turn one them. It's like, <laughs> that that's how the matchup usually goes. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, so what got you into Storm, and like, what was a major part of your progression? I know you've uh, you've gotten lessons from guys like Tagoras and Cliffy. Like, tell me about your progress with the deck, and... Just kind of what drew Yeah, well, Cliffy and I actually started playing it at the same time. So for those that don't know Michael Clifford, he is he lost a win in a Grand Prix at Grand Prix Seattle with Storm. He's also a Moto PTQ Legacy winner. Uh, so he, he's really good at Storm. So we actually kind of started playing the deck together. Uh, and by our lessons were us Skyping together for hours when we first learned the deck and trying to figure this thing out. Um, I don't know. I was playing a lot of Delver, and I started to realize that like the games I really liked playing were against the spell-based decks. Like, I thought Delver was fun to play against Storm and Miracles and Sneak and Show and stuff. And I also realized I really liked the games where my opponent did not get to play Magic. Like, Legacy, every deck just does such BS nonsense things. It's way more fun when they just don't let them cast their Nether Reliquaries or whatever. Like, I don't know. I liked the games where I wastelanded and stifled my opponent. And uh, all the decisions were based on early sequencing and, like, inter- and, like spell-based interaction. So, uh, I don't know. I'm like, one thing about me is I'm really bad at arithmetic. Like, really bad at arithmetic. Like, I have, a, I had a pretty hard time with, like, just counting my mana at first. So, I felt like I was kind of too dumb to play the deck. But, uh, right after I started playing Legacy is when Tagoras won the Grand Prix. So, I thought that was pretty cool. And, like, a year later, I just started, it's just a good deck to play on Moto. I actually started off playing Tess. So, I, I played the Epic Storm. And then, uh, I wasn't really winning very much with it. And I was getting frustrated losing to things that I was just, like, my opponent just played a creature and then dazed me and I lost. And I'm like, I feel like my combo deck shouldn't be losing to that. So I just kind of had a different mindset, which was more similar to wanting to play Ant. And um, yeah, so it's kind of like a group of us work on the deck together. Like it's like all the Moto Grinders, we're in a Facebook group chat and uh, we, we work on the deck together. And it's like, it, I mean, I'm not, yeah, it's, it's not like an exclusive elite club or anything. I just didn't really add that many people because everyone knows the more people you get in a group chat, the more chances it has to be kind of toxic and um, off topic. So luckily for the last few years, we've kept it really on topic and it's been a good, good chat. So, um, yeah. And I I just played the deck a lot. Like for this Grand Prix, I actually didn't really play a lot of magic, which was kind of funny. I think I just had played enough matches with the deck at that point that I I didn't think that, um, playing more matches would help me. Like I kind of have some struggles with like, uh, mental health. And then I've been having some struggles with like my physical health. It's like not exercising enough or eating right. And so, uh, I basically just like played a lot of wow and like ate a little healthier and just like got more sleep and meditated and stuff before this grand prix and i I played the moto ptq in a few leagues and i was just like i don't know i just think that like mindlessly grinding leagues like tilt grinding leagues like all you're ever doing is just playing is good for like getting good reps with the deck and getting your like floor of playing a deck pretty high but you're just not in a good mindset to play magic then you know you start playing autopilot so i just try to kind of get off autopilot because how i felt was like Neither me nor the deck is going to get better in two weeks. Like, this deck, I've played this deck for so long, and it's just going to be as good as it's always been this weekend, basically. So, 
Yeah, my prep was basically just trying to play less magic. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, I actually don't particularly enjoy playing Moto Leagues. I, I have really bad issues with focusing on things. Um, so, like, my... Like, when I play Magic online, I am playing my game, watching a show, and, like, usually doing one plus or two other things, and it's just really hard for me to focus. And, like, what I found is, like, I don't don't really know how to describe it. Like, the mindset you're in when you're on Moto when there's stakes on the line... It's very easy to try to play to try and maximize profit, right? I have to go infinite, or I have to like keep myself above a certain line in order to keep playing, and that isn't a mindset conducive to learning. You're not really trying to uh, learn new things, or like you aren't growing as a player. You're just staying afloat, and uh, it's like it's good if you want to keep playing Magic, but it's very bad if you want to improve your skills because you're you know there may be lines where you you may be willing to do things that are a bit more riskier like um there was a period where i was playing exclusively on x mage and i felt like that's where i learned the most in magic to be honest where there weren't stakes so i just got to try new things and just try out various strategies and go hey what i i want to see if this works okay that didn't work what about this? Oh, that did work. And when I'm playing on Moto, it's just like, here's the things that I know work, so I'm just going to do them. Yeah, well, one thing, I agree with that. That's what people tend to do. Um, I don't know. One thing I do on Moto is that I just treat it as practice because I, I, I do well enough to still be profitable, and it's no longer really like too much of a, a job for me where I kind of need to sell the tickets to pay my rent and stuff because I'm living at home again. Um, and... Well, I don't know, people all the time don't play blind, and I actually think that's that it hurts your game. I think you get conditioned into playing playing with known information. Like, for example, if I get paired against Medea, Magica, Phil Gallagher, you know, the dean of Thraven University, I'm going to keep a hand that has Duress and Ponder, Preordain, and one land, because that's what I would keep against a blind opponent. And I'm not going to mole, I don't know, all the time people, like, mole and blind therapy against me and, like, mold a hand that's good against me, and I just don't really get that. Like, for me, it's like, if, if, that's, if that's what your goal is, is to maximize you know, winning in Moto Leagues, that's okay, because it's all just relative to what your end goal is. If you just want to win the most trophies, there's nothing wrong with that. If you just want to do well at your local game store, there's nothing wrong with that. But my goal was to win a Grand Prix. And I was like, I'm not going to know what my opponent's playing every round of a Grand Prix. So I just try to play games blind. Um, I don't know. I just really try to like remove myself from toxic environments leading up to this Grand Prix. One thing I remembered about my really good run at Eternal Weekend and SCG was that I wasn't really in any uh, like Facebook group chats. And I just think those places lead to like really toxic negative um, environments. Like Alan Wu, who's a good friend of mine, a Pro Tour champion, wrote an article uh, recently for Haruya talking about, you know, people who, people who trash talk other people and who stay in toxic environments. He's like, it's no coincidence that those are the same people who are grinding moto and playing PTQs. And it's like, if there's a big difference between thinking that you can win every match, like I feel confident I can win any match of magic you know, I don't ever feel like a matchup's unwinnable or a player's just better than me and thinking that you should win a match of Magic. To me, that is a huge distinction. And so many people when I talk to on Moto, and I got into this mindset too, are just thinking, I deserve to win. I lost to a bad matchup. I deserve to beat the matchup. I lost to someone who made a mistake. I deserve to win. And that is such a toxic mentality. So one thing I really worked on, because after after I, did, after I won the Open, I was like, wow, 
I really think I'm pretty good at magic. I really want to like get on the pro tour. And I just played so much magic and I was talking to so many people and I was in such a bad headspace. And I'm like, you know what? F this. I like, I didn't win. I didn't top eight like any tournaments basically since the open until the PTQ. Like I was just not doing good at anything. And I was, it was like six months time span or whatever it was. Yeah. It was like, and I was like, or it was like nine months. Yeah. I just had not been doing well. And I was like, I'm just going to stop playing so much magic and get out and just get into a better mind space. I read Alan's article. Um, and I, I decided to stop like trashing on my opponents and thinking I deserved to win. Like I just, like, I don't know. And then, and then I started doing better because magic was just fun for me again. And I was playing a game. And I think my goal when I play magic is I want to make interesting decisions, but I also want to learn. Like you can learn something from every game of magic, I think like, and if you just always assume that your opponent is just a, a blank person making random decisions, which it can feel like on moto sometimes you're not going to learn, but there are people do things for reasons that you could pick up on that information. So what I encourage people to do is just to be less toxic. Like, I have a hard time with that too, but like, not all your opponents are idiots. And like, <laughs> you, it, it, magic wouldn't be a very fun game if the best person always won. Like, I would hate magic if the best person always won, because guess what? I wouldn't really win that much. Like, <laughs> that's just not how it works. So, I don't know. That's kind of like my main prep for the Grand Prix, which is trying to put myself in the mindset of like, I want to have fun playing this game that I really like, and I want to learn things. Like, yeah, I mean, everyone still makes mistakes. I messed up in the semifinals of the Grand Prix, like, it's okay, like, <laughs> if you've never made a mistake before, you're, you're not, I don't know, I think people, if they think they never make mistakes, they're not looking at the games hard enough. No one plays perfect games of Magic. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I don't really have anything to add on to that. I, I agree with everything you just said. Um, what does the future hold for you? Like, you know, you just qualified for, I believe, three-ish, somewhere around there, Pro Tours, you know? Yeah, so um, as far as the next few months of Magic, like, this was kind of just in a, this. They recently rescheduled the, the, the Pro scene for Magic where um, they got rid of the Mythic Championships and replaced them with something called the Players Tour. So what that is is that there are regional player tours. So there's the Americas, uh, Asia, and Europe. And... Uh, each one of those has three PTs per year, player stores, um, and you, you qualify for your regional pro tour. And then each one of those leads into a pro tour finals. So the 120-ish best people from those three pro tours, the regional ones, will go play in a, a big pro tour, a traditional one, which could be anywhere in the world. Um, and the other thing is that every Grand Prix winner qualifies for the players tour. So second place, the players tour finals. And every person in the Players Tour Finals qualifies for the next regional PT. So I just qualified for the next three Pro Tours, which is insane. Like, I went from having never qualified, I lost in the finals of the Moto PDQ, to qualifying for the next three, like, virtually on the train for the next few months, like, from I get to start playing in February. So um, I get, like, a six-month time period where I get to play those three Pro Tours, or nine-month time period or whatever, which is pretty unreal. So I'm going to be trying to get better at Limited. Like, the only deck I ever tend to win with, really, is... Um, Storm, but I am actually pretty good at limited and standard, and that's like relative to Moto. Like I'm able to win a lot of my matches on Moto, but I'm going to be trying to reach out to pros and get coaching and get better at limited and standard too, because I I want to you know I want to be good at I, I don't know I I have a different mindset where I think my mindset is definitely to have fun and to learn, but also it is to win. Like I go to tournaments because I want to win, and I try to do things that promote that. I try not to drink too much. I try to sleep enough. Um, and I want to prepare. I don't want to just go to these pro tours and just be like, cool, I qualified for the pro tour and then lose. I, I want to win some matches and at least do my, the best that I feel like I could do. Like 
if you if I play the best of my abilities and I lose, I usually never care about that. Like if I get unlucky or that like what really bugs me is when I make mistakes. Like I hate doing that because I which is also not great because you want to learn from your mistakes, but whatever. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to be at Grand Prix Bologna coming up. I decided to travel to the European Legacy Grand Prix since I won some prize money from this tournament that will allow me to travel. Uh, it's more economically viable. And then I'll be at Eternal Weekend before that. So that's going to be Halloween weekend. Um, and then after that, I kind of just have Pro Tours coming up. So I'm going to be really kind of shifting over. I haven't been playing that much Legacy for the last six months anyways. So I'll, you know, always play Storm and Legacy probably as long as I feel it's all competitive. And then um, go to all the Legacy tournaments and then try to stay on the Pro Tour. That would be pretty cool. Uh, I would really like to just get to play more Magic. You know, it's just fun playing high-level Magic. Okay. Um, how do you feel about the Cyrus Cycle meme? <laughs> it's really, really accurate, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I definitely, I don't know. It's one thing funny about this tournament is there's so many people saying, oh, this could have happened to a better person. Cyrus is, like, the nicest person ever. He's always helping everyone. I'm, like, I get, like, really salty. Like, I get really salty. I get really tilted. I, like, say, like, I hate this deck. I'm never going to win with it. Like, a week and a half ago, like, so, like, a few days before the PTQ, I guess two and a half weeks ago, I tweeted out, I was, like, I don't even know if I want to play Magic after Eternal Weekend. Like, I'm just not having fun. I just got, like, turn one by Black, Red, Reanimator, like, six games in a row in Moto. And I was like, this is just a dumb format, and I just don't want to play it. And I was just like, my deck turns people. I was just like, what am I even doing? And then I was like, you know what? People don't want to read that negativity, and I deleted it. It's like, I don't know. Like, I do have, like, a curated personality to a point where I've made a, a huge amount of effort to not be such a salty loser and to, like, not t tilt on my opponents or salt at my opponents and not to, like, be negative, but, like, part of it is like, there's like the Cyrus cycle. It's like my friend, for those that don't know what we're talking about, there's like this, my friend, Michael Clifford, Cliffy, uh, made this meme. That's like, I always go from like, I always think like, I win a tournament with Storm and then I start testing a bunch of things and start playing too much. Cause I want the tournament. I'm hyped. And then I'm like, Storm is bad. I'm going to play a different deck. I'm going to try a bunch of bad sideboard cards, play a stock list, win the tournament. And it, it's happened multiple times, which is a little, I'm a little bit predictable, but it's like. So, um, for, for everyone, the cycle is Storm is unplayable that goes to Burning Wish is the answer, to Decay Sucks, Play Street Grixis, to Three Tendrils of Agony, to Sylvan Library, to Dark Confounder is Great, to Bob Sucks, Night Whisper is Broken, to Fuck It, Four Leyline, Four Dread of Night, Four Echo of Eons, Two Fluster Storm, One Empty, to Let's Just Play Talish decks in all formats, to Play the Most Stockless Possible Win a Tournament. And, um... Every time I've seen Cyrus win or like do well in a tournament, it's just with the most stock storm list. And I know in the past you've said uh, you often won't play your own deck list for tournaments. You'll play deck lists that your friends hand you. Uh, is that still the case or no? Because people started wild and dude, I was like, so like what happened was that people started playing like basic forest and ant the ant sideboard, and like they were like, yeah, let's board up to 61 cards. Like, all respect to those people. Like, they're great players and they just play the deck differently than me. But I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not playing Basic Forest and boarding up to 61 cards. Like, that is just unreal to me. And people were like, let's play a bunch of Tendrils of Agonies and, like, play Grim Tutors and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna play, like, this exactly stock 75. Just gonna add two Veil of Summers to the stock list and play that. And I was... I kind of had to deviate because I was not super stoked on the list people were giving me. Because I think the biggest thing about your deck is that the thing about Storm is it's the perfect 60, right? Like, the only things that are flexible on the deck to me are your land count, right? Because 
you're you're building your land base with the assumption that you're going to play against a wasteland deck game one. So if you're not playing against a wasteland deck, it's okay to kill out a land, which more decks and legacy should do. Your land, your mana base is built with the assumption that your opponent's going to wasteland you. If your opponent doesn't have wastelands, it's okay to have another spell instead of land. Um, and then also like the disruption suite. So if discard is not good against your opponent, like you don't need to have duress and thought season in your deck. So I can replace. Like people always say, how does Storm have room for all these cards? They're boarding in Equine Truth and Abrupt Decay and Hercules Recall and Chain of Vapor. It's like they're just diluting their deck so much. Removing one form of interaction for another form of interaction is not diluting your deck. I get that critique all the time. Like, how you know, people are like, we only lost because you diluted your deck. Well, how the Echoing Truth is the same thing as Thossie, it's just harder to cast, but it answers a different type of card. I'm answering a Chalice instead of a Forcible. Uh, and then cards that become bad at post-board games. So Ad Nauseam is bad when your opponent attacks with Goblin Guide. Um, empty the, or, uh, Passive Flames is bad if your opponent reveals Leyline in the Void, same with Dark Petition. So kind of the cards that you can afford to board out are one land, uh, the discard spells, uh, Dark Petition, Pass and Flames, Ad Nauseam. And then Preordain is like the worst card in the deck. Like, uh, basically, it's, it's a good card, but it, it's just a, it's just a, whatever, a five out of ten. Like, it's always going to do the same thing. So if my opponent's going to play something like Narset or Counterbalance or Chalice, which will make it so cantrips are not, they go from, they go from, Preordain goes from a five out of ten to a zero out of ten. You know, it's a zero against those cards. Um, I, I, I tend to board out two of them or one or two of them, so. I've done the same with Miracles and Dover. Like, if I'm playing against Chalice and White, Preordain gets cut from my deck completely, so. Yeah, it's just a super medium card. So that's the thing is I just like to play stock list because I th I think Storm presents the perfect 60-card deck, and all I want are sideboard cards that replace the cards that are bad in a matchup. Like against Death and Taxes, I think Duress is bad because they don't play non-creature spells that matter, so I replace it with removal spells, you know? And it's like if I'm playing something like Grave Titan or like Dark Confidant or something like that, it's like, when the heck does that come in? Like, what card in my deck is getting replaced by Grave Titan? But there is not a card that is similar to that in my deck. And so I, I just like to play... Stock cards and empty the warrens is like. Did you actually grave titan someone? No, but someone asked. Someone asked me about that. At the grand prix. Someone was like, "My buddy is playing a grave titan over empty the warrens," and I'm like, "What?" It's like the cheese card I have on my sideboard is empty the warrens. I was like, "Yeah, grave titan's white." Sorry, like I I don't want to like make fun of this person, but I just look at like mana thresholds and yeah, four is a lot like different that. than six. Right, and like four with one red is a huge difference between six and with two black. But I guess, like, your deck is built around producing two black. Yeah, but, like, my cheese card is empty. Like, if you want to, like, sub like go around your opponent's plan, like, go under it or whatever, like, empty the warrens is, like, that's, like, that's... I mean, everyone knows that's a cheese card. Like, people always, oh, empties a crutch is the meme. It's, like, yeah, I'll just make Tango and hope this gets there. And the finals of the Grand Prix, I went Dark Ritual... I, I went I went Thought Seize You, Dark Ritual, Lotus Petal, make eight goblins, hope you don't draw engineer explosives, is what I told my opponent. And then, and then I won. I won the Grand Prix. I was like, that's my cheese card. Like, what's cheesier than making 8 one ones? That's so dumb. My opponent had two spell snares in hand they couldn't cast. Like, you can't interact with storm spells, and that just is, that's your cheese card. So, that's kind of the power of empty, is it's like this one card, super cheesy way you have to win the game. And Xanastorm is like a cheesy card, too, but you're mostly bringing that in against blue-based combo, um, because you want to dis you want to discard their combo rather than their counter spells. So when you play Xanad, you get to use all of your discard on their show and tells and stuff. Or their invigorates, or it used to be their reanimates before Eric Landon just killed everyone with uh, black red. People used to actually play blue black reanimator. Yeah, yeah, I remember the blue black reanimator days. Back when Pyroblast was a reasonable card against that deck, but you know. Yeah. Things change. So, yeah, so I think people should just play stock lists and. People, or people ask me about Massacre. They're like, well, why are you playing Massacre? That card doesn't seem well-positioned in this meta because no one's playing Death and Taxes. And I'm like, 
well, because I don't want another card in another matchup. Like, <laughs> the Massacre is the best at what it does, you know? So I, I play one Massacre, and that's also just not even accurate. Pe Death and Taxes is still such a popular deck, because it's like, Death and Taxes costs $1,000, right? And if you buy Death and Taxes, what deck are you going to buy? You're like, wow, Death and Taxes sucks. Let me go buy three Volcanic Islands, three Tropical Islands, three Ren and Six, four Force of Wolves. Like, no, it's like, you're like, I guess I'm going to play Death and Taxes because I'm not going to drop three grand on another deck. Right, I think, I think a lot of players, like, weigh sideboard cards equally. And I think that you have to look at your sideboard and just figure out which matchups are most important for you to metagame for and which matchups are, like, least important. Um, like, for example, I'll have fair cards in my matchup, but they're, like, general cards. It's, like, a dismember or whatever. It's not a specific effect. Whereas, like, when I want to have cards for combo shells or what have you, it's very narrow very powerful, very specific effects. And that's because I weigh... It's because I weigh these matchups differently. I expect myself to be on the back foot against these Storm Shells, or against, like, these Reanimator Shells. Whereas against, like, a Delvermere or whatever, it's like, I can I can potentially outplay my opponent and win based on skill, and the effect of an individual card doesn't matter as much. But against these other decks the effect of the card matters way more as opposed to, like, how I play. Yeah, well, that, that that's true, definitely, because narrow cards don't... like. That's one reason Delver is always such a good deck. It's like, what card do you play to beat Delver? Well, lands, I guess. You, you, you make your land drops. That's not even true anymore, because it's true name. But it's like, against Storm, it's like... That's one reason Storm is good, too, is because it doesn't always lose to one specific type of hate, but it's like, oh, I want to beat Ram, okay, reveal Leyline of the Void, you know? Um, but, I don't know, the thing about... The thing about Storm is that it, it's not it's not a fair blue deck. It's a proactive deck. You're you're sitting down and you're saying, I think these sixty cards I brought with me are the very best cards that I could bring with me, and I don't want to change this for any game, but I'm going to because you're going to try and do mean things to me. Um, and so people are always there like I don't know like I don't play Tormod's Crypt because I don't think that playing one or two Tormod's Crypt or Surgicals significantly improves a matchup like Reanimator, which I think is already a fine matchup, and it's like. I don't have car I don't want to. What am I going to take out for that? I have to take out Thoughtseize. Well, I'd rather just have Thoughtseize against them, because it's like Ramander is not losing to one or two Stormout scripts. Like Surgical is good in fair blue decks because it's your fifth force civil, it's your sixth force civil against Reanimator, you know. But it's like I don't know. To me, it's like I would rather just. It's about presenting your best sixty card deck every game, and so I map out my sideboard in a way that I think that I can present the best sixty cards against the most, the most number of relevant decks in the metagame. Like I'm not going to lie, my sideboard doesn't map out perfectly against Merfolk or Four Color Loam. Uh, you know, kind of funny, I lost more folk in the finals of the PTQ, but, like, against the top 25 decks I expect I'm going to play, I try to map it out against those, you know, or top 10 at least, so, I don't know, I, I think that, I hear all this excuse all the time where people are like, um, I don't want to say excuse, that sounds negative, but people say, like, well, I didn't have anything better to bring in, and I'm like, well, you got to pick the 75 cards you brought with you, it's not like someone just, like, sometimes someone just hands you the deck, but, like, a lot of preparation for magic tournaments and building your list goes in ahead of time. You don't want to just pick random cards. Like, hey, I think my deck's bad against Reanimator, so let me play eight surgicals or four extra bait, four surgical. That's a that's obviously not a real number someone would play. But then it's like you play against Reanimator, and like, well, what am I going to board out? I have to board out something. And you don't have cards to board out. That's so why you should map it out ahead of time. Build a sideboard guide. People always tell me I don't need a sideboard guide because uh, I just remember. You know, I like to change how I sideboard for every game. You can still do that, but the it's like you know how you study for a math test. And you make, or like whatever, some type of test. You make a cheat sheet. Like your teacher lets you bring in a cheat sheet. And you're like writing down all these facts and equations and everything. And then you get to the test and you don't even need to look at it. Because you, by the act of creating it, you've learned. That's how I view, view building cyborg guides. 
Um, so, yeah, I think that I just play stock list because I think that's how you win tournaments. You know, you, you win tournaments by just playing a good deck and getting... You, you want to limit as much variance as possible, but you also just want to get lucky. Like, you, you want to put yourself in a position to get lucky, and it's not lucky to draw Grave Titan. Like, that is a bad thing to draw. So it's like... I just want my deck to do the same thing every game. No, I totally agree. Like, I've recently um, been doing some coaching and I was working on a four-color Delver Cyborg guy. Like, Primer, actually. And, uh... It forced me into position where I had to like really think through the card choices and how I approach matchups and everything. Because I had to explain to people like, here's how you approach Storm. Here's how you approach uh, like the Delvermere. You know, like I wrote a page <laughs> on how to approach the Delvermere. Actually, it wasn't even a page on how to approach the Delvermere. It was um, a page on what your opponent's turn one play in the Delramere means about their hand. And... Like, if they ponder, they're probably missing on a land. Right. If they're pondered, they're missing on a land. If they, like, Delver, they probably have the second land, but they may not have removal. Like, just... Like, all of these kind of things that you pick up from experience. And, uh... I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. I, I enjoy the process of teaching, and it it's mutually beneficial in a very odd way. Yeah, I strongly agree. Like, I started, I built the cyborg guy because I wanted to have, like, what happened was, uh, some people might know him as Control for Days, Brandon Osborne, uh, is one of my Storm mentors, a good friend of mine. He, like, posted cyborg notes for Rodrigo's Grand Prix Prague winning deck list three years ago. Uh, and then Rodrigo posted his cyborg notes for it. And then I was like, oh, well, that's really helpful. Now I can see how the masters, those two people are master storm players, how they're, how they're sideboarding. Oh, okay. That makes sense. You don't want duress against this deck. Or that makes sense. You're boarding ad nauseum against this deck. And then I'm able to build my own map. And then now it's like I can be flexible with my list because I understand how I'm changing different cards in it and stuff like that. So I, I just started sharing my cyborg guide because I was making it for myself just to map out my list. Um, yeah, I think that I think that cyborg guides are very beneficial for other people. Like people, there, there's a critique of people saying, "Well, I hate I hate cyborg guides because they don't teach you." But I think that is like kind of not really fair because I think people learn in different ways. Like for me, the way I learn something is by like kind of learning it backwards and teaching myself. And when I see a cyborg guide, it's able to help me understand what cards are important in each matchup and how the matchup can play out. Like if I see that you know, I'm board, someone's boarding out some of their mana against a deck, that means they're probably expecting the games to go slower, like if I'm boarding out Cabal Ritual or whatever, I'm expecting the, the game to last more turns than that on average. Um, and so it's like, then I can teach myself from that perspective. So I, I think that that's something people could benefit a lot from is, is cyborg mapping and, and really being critical about their card choices and not just picking, you know, 15 cards that seem reasonable. Uh, you don't have to do that either. Like, if, if, if that's how you like to build cyborgs, that's fine. But... Um, I don't know. I think you just don't want to have bad cards in your deck post-board and Legacy. Like that, you're, you're playing more post-board games than game ones. Like, unless you have a 100% win rate, you know, you're going to play more games two and threes than you're going to play game ones. And so, yeah, obviously your main deck is important, but what's way more important is having a good 60-card deck games two and three against every deck in the format. So I, I think that's a big level up for people would, would be, you know, talking to, or just talking to someone. If you're not great at building lists, just talk to someone and, and understand why they built the list the way they did. I think um, a lot of the dissenters of sideboard guides will conflate people religiously adhering to sideboard guides to sideboard guides being a bad thing, right? And it's like, when you look at someone's sideboard guide, it's not a end-all, be-all, right? It's, it's not cut these four cards, bring in these other four cards. 
it's just a general guideline of these cards are usually wrong to have in a matchup, and these cards are usually right to have, but if your opponent plays in a certain way, or if your opponent has certain cards that you saw, you'll need to adjust accordingly, and I think that's kind of where the pitfall ends up being. Just people mistakenly doing things wrong. Yeah, I sideboarded differently all three games of the top eight than what my sideboard guide said. Against Burn, I knew my permanent opponent had Leyline of the Void, so I took out Darpedition and Passive Flames. That wasn't on my guide. Um, I played against Hogak. Uh, Tariq was on Hogak, and I was like, I don't even know if that's on my guide. I think I put it on there last minute, but I was like, uh, well, looking at your sideboard, because you had open deck list in the top eight, as Grand Prix often do, I was like, well, you have Thought Seizes, and you have Leyline of the Void, so I'll bring in Bounce and Veil of Summers or whatever, and I'm going to board out my discard, because what am I going to do? Thought Seize of Hogak. Um, and then against uh, Delver in the finals, my opponent had two spell snares, and I was like, Okay, I want to board in Dark Petition, you know, things like that. So it's like, you, you should be flexible with your sideboarding, but just understanding what cards are important is under, helps you learn how to sideboard also. But yeah, don't follow it religiously. Like, that, that is definitely a pitfall. Oh, I have a good story about that. I'm sorry, real quick. Okay, so this is a good example of someone doing that. So someone copies my 75, right? But they make one change. They don't play pass. They don't play two passive flames in the main deck. They play an Empty the Warrens because they think they're playing two passive flames is dumb. I disagree. I think it's great, obviously. Um, and then they follow my sideboard guide despite changing my list. And then I get a message from this person and they're like, I think your list is bad. And I think your sideboard guide is bad. And I'm going to tell you why you board out passing flames in every matchup. I get to game two and I just can't win the game because there's not passing flames in my deck. And I'm like, well, I play two of them. So I board out one of the two. It's insane. I would never board out the second passive flames. It's like the best card in your deck. And they're like, and they just ignore me. And I'm like, <laughs> I just think about that all the time where I'm like, you change someone's list, follow their sideboard guide, and then complain about that list and sideboard guide. It's like, hold on a second. You just think critically about this situation. <laughs> Do you think Ant needs to be renamed into something else? Um, you know, right now it's Ad Nauseum Tendrils, but it's really more past and flame stack. Um, I don't know. I, I always just call it Ad Nauseum Tendrils, but... Um, because it's like the history of the deck. Like, So the thing about Tess is Tess was a deck before Ant. T the Epic Storm was, was a deck before Ad Nauseam was printed. You know, Bryant's put a lot of work into that deck. Um, and then Ad Nauseam was like a mystical tutor. Ad Nauseam had ill-gotten gains because you would, you would mystical tutor in your upkeep, crack LED, and then back then you could float mana from your upkeep to your draw step. So you would draw step cast Ad Nauseam. And then Pass Flames came out, and then Pass Flames became its own archetype, and Tess became more of the Ad Nauseam deck. Uh... My honest answer is I think you can call it, you can just call it Storm because I, I don't really think there is another... I hate to say this because I have a lot of respect for the Epic Storm and the people or people doing that deck. I don't think there's another competitive Legacy Storm deck. If you just say Legacy Storm, people always ask me, is it Tess or Ant? It's obviously Ant. Like, <laughs> all the, like Tess has a Grand Prix Top 8, but Ant has three Grand Prix Top 8 wins, or three Grand Prix wins. It's like, I think you could just call it Storm, but I think preserving the history of the name of the deck is cool too. Like how you call Modern Affinity, Affinity still, even though it doesn't play Affinity cards, so... Um, but you can just call it Storm. Like I think Tess is a deck that's very good in certain metagames, and I think it's... It's really good in metagames, Storm is bad. Right, and it's very good at punishing players uh, who have that misinformation, right? Like Board and Leyland of the Void. Right, like you're a very turn one, turn two deck. And Ant is better for players who enjoy playing like a slightly longer game, etc. And, uh, I, I agree what you're saying about Tess not being a good top eight deck. Like, it's it's a much more like potent deck, 
But on the flip side, it's it also just gets bricked by a lot more things. Well, yeah, like Cabal Ritual is a five for one. Chromox is a one for two. That it's like <laughs> I, I don't know. The, the thing about Test is it's it's so much better than against Ant and Ant's bad matchups. Like I think Test is way better against Chalice. Uh, it, like I think Test actually has a favorable matchup against a lot of the Chalice decks. And I have a ton of respect for the people who work on that website and on that deck and have put so much work into it and do really do do pretty well with it. You know, like. Um, but, like, the thing about Tess is it's, like, the matchups it's better in, it's, like, it's not like it crushes those matchups. Like, it's still just 50-50 against them. And Ant has way more polarized matchups. So, like, Ant is a better as, like, for a long tournament. Like, how I viewed it is it's, like, once I was, uh, once I was 5-0 and or whatever, 4-0, and you know, I had buys, I only started playing against, like, decks that Ant is just much better against. Like, like, Daze is a better card against Tess than Ant, but it's, like, I just feel like if you want to top 8 a tournament, you just need to be prepared to beat the Fair Blue decks. And Tess can beat Fair Blue decks, but Ant is better at it. So it's like that's how that's how I feel. It's like I, I don't I don't mean to put down the deck of the people that play it. I just like let's be real. It, it's it's below one percent of the metagame. It has almost no significant results. It's like it, it's just not as competitive as deck. But I I just so I, I didn't mean to like th- throw a jab at them or anything. But um, I am still doing that in a way. <laughs> no, like just to interject. Like part of the reason Days is good against Tess. It's because Tess has its rituals split across two different colors, uh, red and black, whereas Ant just has black. So you can daze a Tess player off of, like, their red or black mana and put them in a situation where they can't actually cast their payoff spells because they don't have either the right color or the right quantity of mana because they had to, like, you know, end up in some weird situation. And also, magic isn't always just about playing the best deck. Like, I I think Ant's a better deck than Tess, but I think Delver's a better deck than Ant. It's like... It's also just about playing, like, the form... Like, Legacy's also the most competitive format. It's about playing the format you like and the deck you like. And if you like playing Test, like, don't stop playing it, you know, or whatever. But I, I do think that if you want to play... A, I, I think that... I know, like, in other podcasts I've talked about this a lot, is that, that there is probably a best version of a deck, right? Like, there's probably a best combo deck for a weekend. There's probably a best control deck, a best mid-range deck, a best tempo deck, whatever. I think that Ant is just the best combo deck, and I think it's. I think the meta games that Ant's not the best combo deck. It's when combo decks are not well positioned. Like yeah, Ant sucks against blue white control with counterbalance, and it sucks against Chalice. Guess what? Most combo decks are not very good against those decks. Like Seeking Show's okay, but Seeking Show's terrible against Delver. Like Ant's good matchups are just so good though. And the other thing is, it does have the tools to beat anything. Like you can freaking win on turn one. Like you tell me, no matchup is that bad if you can win on turn one. And it's like you have a great sideboard. You have full fifteen sideboard cards. I'm making my deck way better against every deck post-board, basically. Every non-blue deck. No, I, I totally agree. Like Turbo Depths. I think that there should not be two eight-discard combo decks. I think Storm is just better Turbo Depths. But I think Storm takes longer to learn than Turbo Depths, even though Turbo Depths is a very difficult deck. It just takes longer to get used to playing Storm, like because it just plays the deck in a different way, whereas Turbo Depths' game plan is often make, is, is make a Merrillage. You know, where Storm's game plan is cast Head of Agony, but it can also be... You know, doing it in different ways than more ways than Turbo is able to make a melee. So I think that most Turbo players would do better with Ant if they played the whatever thousand matches with it. But also, that's not reasonable to ask of someone. So I'm biased. I, I think Ant's the best deck or best best combo deck. I, I think the best deck in Legacy is always just a fair blue deck. I think if you want to do the best, uh, a Force of Will, Brainstorm, Ponder, probably Wasteland deck is your best choice. Um, and, and Wasteland's only really bad when Blue White is really popular, in my opinion. Um, which is why Wasteland decks were not the best during top Miracles era. But, um, 
Yeah, but also if you want to win a tournament, it's more about making a meta call. Like Death and Taxes is crushed Grand Prix, you know, and Death and Taxes is not as good in every matchup as Delver is. But it's like if you expect to play against only certain types of decks, that can be a better meta call. So it's like Ant is oftentimes an eighty percent deck in a certain meta. Like that's how I feel right now. Like I, I think that the Ant just destroys the decks I expect to play against, which is like Rub Delver, uh, Jeskai Mentor, Turbo Depths. Uh, yeah, it's like basically all I played against her day two. It's like. <laughs> So, I don't know. It's about it's all that. It's about having fun too. I don't want to put down people's deck choices. No, I totally get you. Um, so, looking forward to the future, what does it hold for the Cyrus Guild? Yeah, well, like I was saying earlier, I'm gonna play a bunch of Pro Tours. Uh, that's gonna be sweet, and then uh, gonna be going playing Grand Prix Bologna, I hope, and uh, Eternal Weekend. And then my, my current plan is to go to whatever Legacy Grand Prix anywhere in the world. Like, now that I'm kind of not in college anymore, I can start working. Uh, I'm taking a little bit of time off work right now after I finished my last contract. Uh, I, was at, I had a contract with a nonprofit. Um, I'm hoping that I can go to, like, the Japanese and European Legacy tournaments. Uh, just because I like playing Legacy and I like the people that play it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to continue playing a lot of Storm and hopefully start streaming again soon. My computer has not been working, but I'm really hoping it does now. So... You can, everyone can always follow my Twitch at uh, CyrusCG is basically where I am everywhere. Except for Twitter, I'm CyrusCGMTG because someone has CyrusCG for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my plans for the future. Uh, writing articles, I'll be posting a tournament report for um, Channel Fireball. And uh, you can check that out there and hopefully continue to write articles. I have a, a blog that my friends started with a Cliffy called Manitutors. Uh, people can read, read articles that I write on there and other really great articles. So... Eric, Eric Virgo comes back from uh, Pacific Crest Trail, my podcast co-host, so maybe we'll start up Top Down Legacy again. I'm sure we're going to do an episode when he comes back, but um, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, or was that just the general gist of things? Yeah, that was, that was, that was basically everything. I uh, really appreciate you having me on, and uh, yeah, I guess my advice to people is Really put more time into building your deck list and be less toxic. <laughs> You'll do better in Magic. I can dig it. I can definitely dig it. Um, so other than that, uh, you know, I just want to shout out our new patrons, Ryan C. and Lee W. Um, we also had some patrons play Four Color Delver at the GP, and they used my primer as a, uh, as a base for you know, what they were playing, um, Ryan was able to go 10-5 with no buys, which is pretty good, and Levi was able to go 11-3-1. He's someone I've been coaching, so I'm really happy for him. He was able to lock in top 32. He intentionally drew the last round, Um, and if you're interested in accessing that primer, it's on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com backslash thirstforcast. We're on Twitter at the same app. Um, you can find Steve, my co-host who isn't here this week, uh, at Racelinim at R-A-I-S-T-L-I-N-I-M. You can find me at Lawrence Harmon. Uh, our editor, Kwame, is at Quam, or Tripod Gun on Twitter. And then uh, Cyrus, where can, the, where can the people find you? I actually wanted to shout out Levi real quick. So I, I, I met Levi at Grand Prix Vegas, uh, your, your patron, patron, 
Patreon, I don't know, um, who, who 11-3 won this Grand Prix, uh, he's just, like, the nicest, he's so nice, like, he just, I don't know, he has, like, this infectious personality where he's very kind and positive, and all weekend I saw him being super kind, he had a tough weekend where he, like, and I don't know, it's public information, he tweeted about it, I think, where he, like, got a car accident, and he had a hotel situation go wrong, and he was just, like, and he's just, like, this is his second really good finish at a Grand Prix, he's top 16, the huge limited Grand Prix, Grand Prix Seattle, um, and then he, he top 32 this one, ID in the last round, if he would have won, he would have certainly top 16, but he wanted to guarantee, they, him and my friend Sam drew in a top 32, I don't know, like, all weekend he's just playing well, being nice to his opponents, and he's been working super hard on Magic, and his positive attitude really was, like, infectious for me all weekend, where I felt like I was able to stay in a good mindset. So, if you listen to this, Levi, shout out to you. Um, I know I said that to you several times over the weekend anyways, in person, so. Yeah, yeah. like, uh, I didn't know Levi before the podcast. Um, I've been posting about the primary that I'm writing, etc. And he, he actually subscribed at our highest Patreon tier, which is really sweet, and I, you know... I can't thank him enough. And I had a coaching session with him before the free, the GP, and it was, like, really just chill. And like you said, he is just a really great personality and just really laid back, uh, really just awesome. And, um, you know, he's a great guy. And funny enough, we both live in Ohio. He didn't realize that at the time. I live a bit south of him. And uh, it was it was cool just working with him, and I'm really happy that he went 11-3-1. He actually 5-1 the GP, or the PTQ, um, which was really sweet. I, I, I'm so happy that, you know, that he had really good results, uh, relatively speaking. Yeah, he's been, he's been doing pretty well, and it's good to see, you know... He's a good example of someone who I think has a really positive mindset and a good attitude, and that's something, he's an inspiration for me to improve at that. Like, I kind of was not the most positive mindset at, at uh, Grand Prix Vegas. I tested a ton for that event. I was playing a broken deck. I was play, playing Hogak, and I was just in a bad headspace. My, I, I'm not going to lie, I assaulted it with my first my first opponent, and the, my opponent turned three to me uh, with double surgical, game one, and I'm playing a Graveyard base deck, and then they were trying to talk about the match afterwards, and I'm like, I was just basically like, you got lucky, I don't really want to talk to you. And it, you could just tell it was like, they were like, they were just trying to talk about the match. Like, that's not their fault they drew the cards they put in their deck. Like, what the hell, dude? And I was just, I felt so bad about it. And I'm still feeling bad about it. And I played against Levi in that tournament. And he got so freaking unlucky versus me. He was playing a deck that destroyed mine, Red, White, Prison, and Modern. And he just drew terribly. He the five and drew zero relevant cards the entire match. And he was so nice. He was like, dude, it's so good to see you. Like, I'm great to meet you. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. And I was like... Why can't I just be like that? Like, this guy just demolished. I got, like, lost because he got unlucky. He didn't make any mistakes. He just got unlucky. And, you know, he didn't even care. He just stuck to be there playing Magic. And I was like, I need to be more like that. And I really, since then, have, like, reflected on my mindset and tried to do better. And it wasn't to win more matches of Magic. It was just to be, like, make myself happier. And so I just wanted to shout him out because I think he was pretty influential in, in me having a better mindset for this Grand Prix. So thanks for being a great guy, Levi. Yeah, I, I agree. Um... My time with Levi has been great. I'm really happy to work with him and I'm excited to work with him in the future. Cyrus, you do coaching now, right? Uh, I haven't been since my computer hasn't been working. Um, I have my I like blow up my hard drive or something. I don't know. So I recently reinstalled a new hard drive. So I'm hoping to get coaching and streaming back up soon. Um, you can re- the best way to reach me is Twitter. I'm I'm very active on Twitter, which is Cyrus CGMTG. I also do stream occasionally. Hopefully again soon at Cyrus CG on Twitch. 
Um, and then if I do, if, you, if I do start coaching again, you will be able to find a tweet about it. Um, but I respond to basically every message on Twitter. Uh, don't add me on Facebook. People keep adding me on Facebook. I don't know. And I, I need to change it so they can't do that. I just, it, it's hard because Facebook's a harder thing to curate than Twitter. Um, but yeah, so best way to reach me is uh, you can tag me like a Facebook page, like leaving legacy or something. Um, but yeah, so Twitter Cyrus CGMTG or Twitch Cyrus CG, are the best places to reach me. And hopefully I can start coaching again soon. Um, I know that it's been beneficial for other people and I, it's beneficial for me too. I feel like I learn a lot when I do it. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, Cyrus, I, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. It was great having you. And, uh, you know, I obviously wish you well in the future. I hope to see you keep crushing events and, uh, will you be, what events do you have planned, uh, for the future? Do you, other than the pro tours, are you coming to eternal weekend or what's, what's your game plan? Yeah, so definitely um, going to be at, at Eternal Weekend, and then the, that's a Halloween weekend. And then Thanksgiving weekend is GP Bologna in Italy, uh, and I would really like to go to that. I need to get my passport and get an itinerary going and everything and figure that out. But uh, And then I will be at the uh, the Regional Players Tour in Phoenix, which is in February, uh, the, the Players Tour Finals, which will be fun at an undetermined time, and then the next Players Tour after that. And you can probably find me at every Eternal Weekend uh, in the U.S., the, the North American Eternal Weekend, and then probably every Legacy Grand Prix. Uh, and also like when people come up to me and talk to me. I don't want to talk about magic, is one caveat. So if you come up to me at an event, don't talk to me about magic, but just talk to me about like life, like how you doing? I'm happy to talk. Um, even if I'm talking to someone else, you can come up and say hi. So yeah, I, I like when I like when people come up to me and, and say hi. I like meeting people. I'm just gonna be a little shy myself. No, I, I definitely agree. Um, at GP Niagara, I basically just didn't want to talk about magic in between rounds. Like, I'd play my matches, and I didn't think about how I was doing in the tournament until, like, round seven when I won, and one of my my friends asked me, like, hey, how are you doing? It was just like, oh, I'm 7-0. It was like, oh, oh, shit. I'm 7-0. Oh, God. Uh, and then I just, like, proceeded to... Or no, I was 8-0 or 7 whatever. I proceeded to bomb round nine. Uh, because like I put pressure on myself or whatever. Exactly. But, yeah, um, I think it's better to just like just take it one match at a time and not think about magic. And oh my gosh, do not bad beats me. I hate getting bad beats. The main reason being that storm bad beats are insane. So I know this is like going a little along, a little off topic, but every storm bad beat story involves knowing every card in your opponent's graveyard and hand, what deck they're playing, what cards they've played so far, what cards they haven't played. Every card you have in your hand, in a graveyard, and deck, what game it is, and then it involves this insane sequence of spells that's like nine or ten spells. And I'm like, what? I don't. I already have to play my own games this storm, and it's hard enough. Don't tell me this. Literally, like, if you can't tell me a story in ten seconds, just don't tell me, please. Like, it's. I don't mean that in a mean way. I just like. It, I just think it's just. It's like. It's like. How do How, how do, do you feel about match? the card Mana Maze? Just curious. What do you know? What Mana Maze does? Uh, no. It's like a two or three oh. man enchantment. Yeah, you can't cast uh, spells, right? Sorry, keep going. It's like yeah, a, you can't color. cast spells that are the same color as the spell that was previous cast this turn. So, like, if your opponent starts a turn with a ponder, you can't cast a force of it, right? And they would have to like, or somebody would have to cast like a thoughtseize or a dark rit. How do you feel about the card? I'm not. I'm not saying because I've been considering playing that card in the sideboard of Rug Delver. How much mana does it cost? But uh, it's it's two or three. I can double check though. Uh, if it's three, it's too much mana. If it's two, it's probably pretty reasonable. I mean, it, it just the thing is, there's just a billion cards that are good against Storm or like combo in general. So it's, it just goes into like it's like that new white enchantment that everyone's freaking out about. It's like okay, well that's just gonna replace a card that's already good against Storm. So who cares? Um, 
it's it's two mana, and regarding the light enchantment, it's just like it's a worth worse ethers one canvas in my opinion. Uh, I like that you can still snapcaster stuff because I think one of the biggest downsides of playing rest in peace and canonist in Stoneblade is that um, is that 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 deck's like that deck's like best card against combo in my opinion is snapcaster mage. It's like I don't know. I, I just hate turning off my own snapcasters because like so often my opponents like play a canonist and then they like snap brainstorm and I just call judge and they get a warning or whatever. You know, it's like that card is really good. I don't know. The issue with um, this card over Snapcaster Mage is that uh, Snapcaster Mage provides a clock. Um, or Aetherstorm Canis. Aetherstorm Canis provides a clock, which is completely relevant for those matchups. I know when I've played Stoneblade, Canis has been a huge part of it. And like a lot of the hands that uh, Stoneblade or Sneak and Show players will keep against you are hands that. Uh, are very dependent on cantrips, so you just like turn to your Etherstorm Canonist, see if it gets force willed. If it doesn't, you often win the game based on just slowly kind of attacking them because they don't have the time to develop as they would like, and you just have a higher density of creatures than they do. Yeah, big one man is nice too against um, Storm, like especially Tess. I, I do know the first time I ever played uh, Tess, like first time I ever played Storm, I was playing on Cockatrice, uh, and I get paired against Death in Texas. Right, and I'm, I go to game two. I win game one through some new block, and then game two, my opponent goes turn two on the play. Other Sworn Canvas, and I read it, and I'm like, this card doesn't seem that good. And then I cast six artifacts into the Warns from hand, and one. <laughs> I've never done that since then. I just remember thinking, I'm like, wow, that was six. Warn can beat anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I look back at my comic trace days uh, pretty fondly, except for like the one time where like I didn't contest the ruling against my opponent, where they didn't understand how. Uh, Cataclysm worked because there was a period where it's playing a lot of death and taxes, and it was a very uncomfortable game of them having Jason Mindsculpt play post cataclysm. Yeah, so it's like pretty embarrassing to like say that, but you know, say la vie, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty funny. Sweet. Well, um, yeah. So everyone can find me at on Twitter and hopefully on Twitch soon. And yeah, thanks a ton for having me on, Lawrence. This is really fun. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad to have you on. I'd love to have you on in the future. And uh, I hope a lot of people slide into your DMs for coaching. Um, you know, I'm really happy for you, man. I, like I said, I remember meeting you, and you were just another person in Delver chat. And now here you are. You're a GP champ. That's awesome. Yeah, very fortunate. And, uh, very, very stoked about it. So, thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, to everyone else, have a good night or good day whenever you want to listen to this.